The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask for your blessing upon the preaching of your word. As we hear it once again from uh, the book of Ruth, we are so grateful that you have given us your holy and inspired word, perfect in every way, without error, without the possibility of, er- of erring because of the one who spoke it, the one who is perfect and who cannot lie, who cannot err, who cannot err in any way. And so, Father, we ask that we would place our full confidence in your word as we hear it. I pray that you would help us to hear it and to receive it, to pay attention to it. I pray that you would transform us by it, O oh Father, for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his name. I pray you continue to transform us as a church body, that we would increase in unity and purity and holiness and gentleness and patience and love and all the fruit of the Spirit. Father, I pray you pr- protect us from division, that you would protect us uh, from the evil one, protect us from Satan's schemes and and we know that a uh, place where the gospel is preached, uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking uh, whom he may dev- devour. Help us to stand firm against him, to be knit together in love. We pray for our afternoon annual business meeting, that you would be honored and glorified in it, Father. That we would rejoice together. That your will would be made known. And that, uh, Father, whatever comes to pass, Uh, we would uh, rejoice and give thanks because you have ordained all our days. We trust you, Father. We trust that you are working out all things together for good. We're so grateful that uh, the the gospel is going forth in our community, and we pray that we would be found faithful to not only speak it, but also adorn it, that our our lives would reflect uh, and adorn the profession of our faith, that uh, we would not undermine it, that we would not be found hypocrites. Uh, Father, we do pray that you would help us because we are sinful and we cannot do these things apart from your grace. Give us much grace, we pray, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to ask someone for something that you were afraid of being rejected? Uh, Perhaps you were asking a boss for a raise. Uh, maybe you were uh, planning on asking a special someone uh, out on a first date, or maybe you uh, planning on being engaged. I know I was very nervous when uh, I proposed to Jackie when the time came to uh, propose to her. I thought I had this really wonderful big plan that was supposed to be romantic and, and sweet. And, you know, this is a bigger deal than just asking somebody out for coffee. Yeah, so I wanted to make it very special, so I printed out these pictures of key moments in both of our lives, and the idea was on uh, in this, this, this really nice path um, on a, at a farmhouse in Nebraska. On one side, it would be key moments of Jackie's life, on the other side, it would be key moments of my life, and we'd come together, and right there in this just beautiful area, this, this kind of garden-like area, uh, would be the box that contained uh, the ring. Hope you don't mind me sharing this. I should have asked first, but there we are. <laughs> and the moment came, really, really nervous. We went and walked back there, 
And to my horror, all the papers that I had put up had been blown down. And they're just laying there, swirling around, and Jackie, not knowing what, what was about ready to happen, goes, look at all this litter. And so I had to try to make the best of the situation. I'm like, oh, let's pick up this piece of paper. Oh, look, it's a picture of you as a baby. I, what's this doing here? Uh, needless to say, it went. It, I considered it a disaster. It went exactly opposite of what I had envisioned. Nevertheless, here we are married 14 years later, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, but if you've ever been in a situation like that, you know something of the fear of rejection. Uh, that, that comes with it. Uh, you, you, can, you can imagine then what would have gone through Ruth's mind as she went to propose to Boaz. Uh, on top of the possible rejection, she was breaking a lot of cultural norms. Uh, she was proposing to Boaz rather than the other way around. Uh, she was a servant. He was her master. She was a Gentile. He was a Jew. Uh, there, was a lot to there was a lot that was stacked up against Ruth for why she should be rejected by the Redeemer, not to mention the very questionable and risque way she went about it. Nevertheless, we see that her Redeemer gladly received her. And beloved, this is more than a story of rejection or not rejection. This is a story of redemption. She didn't just need a husband. She needed a Redeemer. Would the Redeemer reject her despite everything stacked up against her? Well, we see from the story that her Redeemer received her. And we also see from the story a picture of our Redeemer who receives us despite everything stacked up against us. Maybe some of you have not yet come to Christ because you are worried that your Redeemer would reject you. That you don't see yourself as worthy enough to be received. Perhaps some of you who have come to Christ, you still wonder, has my Redeemer received me? Now, I've not followed Him all that well. I'm a pretty poor follower. Perhaps He's rejected me. And we get assurance from our passage today that that's not the case. We're going to see this in three parts. First, the unrighteous reliance. Second, the righteous covering. And third, the gracious fullness. So first, the unrighteous reliance. Uh, last time we saw a wonderful picture of provision in chapter 2. Boaz had provided all this grain uh, for Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi realizes that this is a redeemer. And so while Boaz had provided all this grain for her, the natural question is, what about the continuation of the line of Boaz. That would have been the next natural question because a, a kinsman redeemer, someone who is a close relative within their clan, did three things. The, the, the first is that he would buy somebody out of debt or buy them out of slavery. Somebody fell into debt, they needed to sell their land and then go into slavery. Well, the redeemer would come and buy them out of slavery, pay off their debts so that they can keep their inheritance in the land. The second thing the Redeemer did is that he would seek justice should one of the family members be murdered. The third thing that he did was that he would marry uh, the widow in order to provide 
a continuation of the family line for his brother, which was very important in Israel. And so that's the big question. Well, she's being filled with grain, this type of seed. What about continuing on the line? And that's where chapter 3 answers uh, the Israelites' natural question upon reading this. But Naomi tries to solve it on her own. In her own wisdom apart from God. In verse 1, she says, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? When she, see, when she says seeks rest, she's referring to receiving a husband. Uh, rather than being a perpetual widowhood and having to glean, find rest in being married, having a husband, having a family being provided for. It's a good desire. However, Naomi goes about it in a sinful way. She puts both Ruth and Boaz in a temptation of great, or it, it, she puts both of them in great temptation, a situation of great temptation. First, she tells Ruth to go meet Boaz at the threshing floor. This is obviously where he would be. The harvest is done, so he's at the threshing floor, threshing. Now, the threshing floor was located in a secluded area uh, away from the city, and because of the seclusion, that is where sinful sexual activity would happen. Hence, Hosea 9.1 says, Rejoice not, O Israel, for you have loved a prostitute's wage on all threshing floors. So it was known for the place of sexual immorality. But Naomi tells Ruth to go meet him at the threshing floor at night, not out in the open field in the middle of the day. Given what the threshing floor is known for and doing this at night, uh, this would be very suggestive. Also, Naomi tells Ruth to look and smell her best. Verse 3, wash and anoint yourself. Uh, get cleaned up. Put on perfume. Look your best. Look attractive. But don't show yourself until he is done eating and drinking. Verse 3, after drinking, even though he may not be drunk, his heart would be merry. And watch closely where he lies down so that you can go and lie down with him. Verse 4. And when you do lie down with him, uncover his feet. Now obviously this has to have some sort of significance. Otherwise it would be just silly. And it fits in with Naomi's plot of lying down next to him in the seclusion of the threshing floor at dark after he's been drinking when she looks her best. Uncovering feet is a euphemism in this culture for signaling desire for sexual intercourse. It's not the case that just his feet would be uncovered, but rather his legs, the, below his waist, the entire bottom. Uncovering feet referred to the whole bottom half of his body. Feet is a synecdoche for, a large, for, for the whole bottom half of his body. Now, uh, <clears throat> this is not something I think any wise parent would tell their daughter to do. It's a, it's a good thing that what Naomi wants, redemption and a husband for Ruth, but she's going about it in her own way, trying to bring about the results according to her own strength and wisdom. It's like when Sarah told Abraham to go into her maidservant in order to bring about God's promise of a child. Rather than trusting God in his promise, she took matters in her own hands and Abraham ended up committing adultery. Or it's like Lot's daughters who got their father drunk so that he would lie with them in order to keep the family line going. And 
it was this incestuous relationship that brought about the Moabites. By the way, what culture is Ruth from? Moab. Would this Moabite go about it in the same way? We see that's not the case, which brings us to the second part, which is a righteous covering. So Ruth does everything that Naomi says. Uh, after Boaz had drunk and his heart was merry, verse 7, which doesn't necessarily mean that he was drunk, it could, but he was definitely affected by wine. But that's where she lies down. Or he, he lies down, and then she goes and lies down with him and covers the bottom half of his body. The chill of having his cloak off uh, causes him to wake up in the middle of the night, and he's alarmed to wake up and to... Uh, to a woman and, and smell her perfume. Startled, he asked her who she is. And Ruth responds in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So Ruth immediately identifies herself and cuts right to the chase. She wants Boaz to marry her. Now, this may seem very pushy and not very modest, but I think it's important to note that by saying that she wants to get married, She's leaving out the suggestion that she wants to commit fornication. She does not say to Boaz she wants to make love, but rather she wants to, him to marry her. The, the focus is not on lovemaking, but on entering into a covenant first. And the way she puts it is, spread your wings over your servant. Now this was a, this is a figure of speech to refer to a common practice back then. When a man would marry a woman, he would take the corner of his outer garment and spread it over the head of his bride. And this signified coming under his care, protection, and provision as being one with him. We see God do this and use this very imagery in Ezekiel 16 when it refers to the care of his people. Uh, he spreads his garments, or, or the figurative way of putting it, spreading his wings over his people, uh, which represents him marrying them, entering into a covenant relationship with them being devoted to them. Uh, this is why the Bible describes our relationship with our Redeemer in this way. Christ is our husband, the head of the church. We are his bride, and we have entered into a covenant relationship with our husband, with our Redeemer. He has spread his wings over us, just like with Ruth. However, just like with Boaz, it first came at him being uncovered by his bride, by the sins of his bride, when he was stripped down naked to go to the cross. But he has covered us with the clean and radiant robes of his own righteousness, so that we are not naked and exposed to the shame and judgment of our sin. And Boaz responds in verses 10 through 11, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So Boaz doesn't scold her and tell her to get out of here and reproach her for the way she approached him. Rather, he blesses her because of the kindness she has shown him. That kindness is that she has not gone after younger men instead of him. And the obvious implication is, is that Boaz is older. We don't know exactly how older he is. Uh, Jewish tradition holds uh, to him being 80, but we don't know that for sure. 
while it's possible he could be as old as 80, uh, we don't know exactly how old he was. In any case, it would have been more desirable for the flesh to go after younger men. Furthermore, there is a risk of not having children by choosing to marry an older man rather than a younger one. And this is why Boaz says that this kindness she is showing now is greater than the first. The first being leaving her people to be with Naomi and the people of God. But now she is going to Boaz to continue the line of Naomi and her late husband rather than starting a new life with younger men. Just as she did not stay in Moab to find a husband but to show kindness to Naomi, so she is again sacrificially serving Naomi and God. And this stems from trusting the Lord, trusting Him with the results while simply doing what is right. So Boaz says that he will do this because she is a worthy woman. Uh, literally, she is a woman of valor or strength. This is the same term used in Proverbs 31. However, Boaz also wants to do what's right. Verses 12-13, through 13, he says, There's a redeemer who's closer. There's a closer relative. I'm going to give him the opportunity first. If he doesn't, I swear by the Lord, he's making an oath, that he will do it. And beloved, this is how this redeemer, and if this is how this redeemer, Boaz, who's still a sinner, acted towards Ruth's request, then how much more ours? We come to our Redeemer with much sin. Uh, we, this is worse than the prerogative way that Ruth came to Boaz. We come to Him covered in the filth of our sin, covered in the stain of our sin, naked, without anything to offer. We come empty. We are not men or women of valor. Everything imaginable is stacked up against us. And yet all who come to the Redeemer, He promises He will in no way cast out. He gladly spreads His wings over all who come to Him. He gladly and freely covers all who come to Him simply as a free gift according to His covenant of grace. We also see Boaz protect Ruth. Verse 14 so she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So Boaz has Ruth stay there till morning. It would have been dangerous to walk back at night in the, the, the pitch, of, uh, pitch black of night. They didn't have city lights back then. Uh, it was truly, truly dark. And so it would have been dangerous to just send her away right away. Uh, so she stayed there until first light. Uh, when there's enough light uh, to, to start to, to go, but before there was enough light to recognize one another. But notice it does not say, lie with me, but lie here until morning. And this is probably as tempting as a situation that you can be in, and yet they did not sin. And while we don't want to put ourselves intentionally in a tempting situation, yet just because we are, are in a tempting situation, doesn't mean we have to sin. Uh, temptation does not equal opportunity. And God has given us a spirit of self-control. Nevertheless, because of how scandalous this would appear, Boaz says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, the threshing floor, it, where sexual sin occurred. And even though Boaz and Ruth didn't do anything, it, it would have appeared very badly. And this is likely not Boaz just protecting his own reputation, but also uh, Ruth's, because he says, 
let it not be known what the woman did, that the woman came here. It's difficult to know to whom he's saying this, perhaps some of his closest servants. Nevertheless, he wants to protect her and cover her rather than use her. And instead of taking from her according to his sinful flesh, he fills her up, which brings us to the third part, and that's his gracious filling. He takes, he has her take off her outer cloak, and he fills it with six measures. We don't know what those measurements are. Assuming it's a seya, it could be up to 80 pounds, which just seems outrageous. But it's a large measure of grain. He then helps put it on her, likely her shoulders, and sends her away. And when Ruth gets back, Naomi asks, as translated in verse 16 of the ESV, How did you fare, my daughter? Now this is not the question she asked. The question is, who are you? And you know, English translators took liberty to change it because the question, who are you, didn't really make much sense to them. But if you think about it for a moment, it really does make perfect sense. Naomi is asking what her identity is. To whom does she now belong? Do you belong to Boaz? Because if she does, then her identity has changed. This is what happens when we get married. And this is what happens when we enter into a covenant with our Redeemer. Who are we? We're the Lord's. We're His beloved children. The old self has, has died with Christ. The new self has been made alive with Christ. And Ruth explains to her the situation and shows her all the barley that Boaz provided. Uh, Boaz specifically provided it because he did not want Naomi to be empty. It says in verse 17, do not go back empty to your mother-in-law. The, the word empty is the way that Naomi described herself uh, when she came back from Moab. I went away full, but now I'm empty. But now her Redeemer is starting to fill her. And again, in, the, the, in this, there could be a promise of filling Naomi not only with seed of barley, but with seed of children. And this leads Naomi to say in verse 18, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Notice the change in Naomi. Rather than taking matters into her own hands and trying to manipulate the situation, she now says, wait. Wait. Don't do anything. Be still. Rest. Let things play out apart from our actions. Why? Because Naomi is confident in her Redeemer. She says, for the man will not rest until he settles the matter. Because she now trusts in her Redeemer to work, seeing His kindness, because she is confident in His character and His promise, she can now rest. She can now trust Him. She can now be still and wait upon Him. And beloved, this is the way it is to be with us. When we trust the goodness and kindness of our Redeemer, when we believe that He loves us, is for us, promises to take care of us, he will fulfill all His good promises to us. And knowing He has the ability to, that is when we find rest in Him. Because we know that He does not rest when it comes to us. He is working out all things for our good. He is able to accomplish the things that concern us. He is working His sanctifying grace in us. 
He watches over us. He is able to accomplish the things that concern us. After all, He did put on our own very, very own flesh and blood to live, die, and rise again. To turn our emptiness into fullness. To cover our nakedness with His own righteousness as He was uncovered to our punishment and shame on the cross. And He has filled us with His Spirit as a down payment a promise of that full redemption to come. And He has given us a new name, a new identity. We are in Christ. We are Christians married to our husband Redeemer. He has spread His wings over us to cover us. And when we trust Him, we are not given over to worry. We're not given over to bitterness and anger. I'm not getting my way. Others are getting in the way of me getting my way. Rather than trusting Him to work out all things for our good. May we trust Him. Resting in the One who has has uncovered on the cross due to our unrighteousness, but who has covered us with His own blood and righteousness and has graciously filled us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask you would help us to trust you, for you are a good God, and you do not forsake your own. You have given us your good promises. You have given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Help us, Father, to trust you, to turn to you, to believe in you, to know you all the more, the one who has covered us with your wings. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.